Welcome to the Do Hard Things podcast with your host, Jay Teagues. Are you ready to amplify and improve your life? Then you're in the right place. On this podcast, we have unfiltered conversations with inspiring people who take on challenges and are here to share with us their wisdom from their journey. We talk about how doing hard things enable all of us to adequately deal with life struggles and challenges and to ultimately improve the quality of our lives. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Joy Things Podcast. I'm your host, JT, Certified High Performance Coach, Transformational Mindset Coach. In this episode of the Do Hard Things Podcast, I have a great conversation with writer Matt Crossman. Now, Matt and I had recently met at an adventure race, and he I was actually wearing this hoodie that I'm wearing right now. It uh, says Do Hard Things on it, and he's like, man, I love Do Hard Things. And uh, we got to talk right before the race. And realizing he's a writer, he writes about grit, discipline, and right, we didn't get a chance to uh, to talk. We didn't have a car. I'm like, I'll catch up with you later. Uh, we ran into each other during the race a couple times. At the very end, uh, my team, Jenny and I, had passed his team with 20 seconds. We had about, yeah, with about 20 seconds to go. We, we sprinted past them to cross the finish line, and then we had a great time talking after the, uh, the race. We had a great conversation today, so I'm looking forward to uh, this episode. Before we get into the episode, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and share with, uh, with two of your friends. And if you'd like to go check out the gear that we have, the Do Hard Things gear, go check out the shop. You can check, uh, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you there and uh, show the world that, uh, that you do hard things. And if you want to continue your, your path of personal growth and development, uh, you can apply for one-on-one coaching. You can join the, uh, the Do Hard Things Nation, which is a free Facebook group. If you want to, uh, we also have the, uh, the Forge where I come in and facilitate live weekly trainings. Uh, for about an hour every Wednesday, we we and, and you have access to a uh, membership area. We talk about a variety of high performance and personal growth and development topics. G- get surrounded with a community of people. You can surely do personal growth and development on your own, but when you're on a tribe with in a tribe with like minded people, that uh, that growth will be exponential. And uh, we're going to be doing some workshops soon. Look out for some adventure coaching in the near future. Some uh, virtual events. And uh, so go to jteags.com if you'd like to learn more, J-A-Y-T-I-E-G-S.com. And uh, yeah, so let's talk about uh, Matt Crossman. I'm going to read you his, uh, his bio here. So Matt Crossman, is, he's all about doing hard things. And the reason that it's, it's important to him is it's important to face challenges outside your comfort zone. Matt is passionate about the topic of grit, discipline, and shared suffering, and how doing so in group environments forges deeper relationships. Matt has been a journalist for 27 years and has written for a variety of publications to include NASCAR.com, Success Magazine, and Cowboys and Indians Magazine. Matt has written over 50 cover stories for national magazines and has been cited by Best American Sports Writing and Best American Essays a combined eight times. Matt has won dozens of awards from regional, state, and national organizations, including Writer of the Year from the National Motorsports Press Association on two occasions. He's the only writer in the 125-year history of the sporting news to appear on the cover. He's been married for 12 years and has two kids, 15 and 12. So we have a fantastic conversation on grit and discipline. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, I'm going to shut up and let's get into it. 
All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Do Hard Things podcast. I have with me Matt Crossman. Matt and I met uh, actually not too long ago. I was doing the Castlewood Adventure Race. I was wearing, I think, this exact same hoodie, and I'm standing in line. We're getting ready to uh, ramp up for the the race. I think we had probably about uh, 20 minutes till the start. And I was we're in the long bathroom line. You had a mask on. I had a mask on. And you're like, hey. Uh, I really like your shirt. I'm like, yeah, cool. It's my, where'd you get it? I'm like, yeah, it's my brand. And we kind of, we kind of hit it off. You're like, uh, I'm a journalist. You know, I, I love the topic of grit and discipline. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. We need to connect. I don't have a business card. We got to get to the start. And, uh, but later in the day we, we connected and now we're here on the podcast. So I guess, uh, just tell us a little bit, um, about yourself, Matt, what you do. Well, well, first, I appreciate you, uh, omitting the fact that you, uh, beat my team in the final about 200 yards or so. I haven't forgotten that. I'm still not uh, very happy about it. And I think I'm being gracious by agreeing to appear on your podcast here just a couple of weeks later. Uh, but anyway, I'm a, I'm a, yeah, like you said, I'm a freelance magazine writer. Uh, I've been a journalist for, for a long time. And in the last, oh, six or eight or 10 years or so, I've become uh, fascinated on the subject of, of grit and uh, perseverance and persistence. And especially lately, pushing pushing yourself to, you know, do hard things. That's what struck me about your shirt is that's kind of what I write about. Now it's not only what I write about, but it's a big chunk of what I write about uh, now. Yeah. So what uh, compelled you to get down the path of, of studying this particular topic? You know, that's an interesting question. Uh, I wouldn't say uh, strangely enough for uh, how it turned out. I really wouldn't say I did it uh, intentionally at first that uh, sort of a series of events happened. Uh, the first is I was at a sports magazine for a long time called The Sporting News. And I wrote, uh, my job was to write profiles uh, of athletes. And just about all of them, uh, in order to become a great athlete, you have to have perseverance. You have to uh, be able to endure. And so I wrote about that subject a lot. And then I got uh, laid off uh, eight years ago and discovered I did not have very much persistence. I was not enduring. and uh, you know, the big struggle of my life, you know, losing that job, I felt like I, I failed at it. And so I got to work sort of in my life doing harder things. That, that's where it started to become intentional is I realized I was lacking uh, that trait. So I started to pursue it on purpose after having studied it kind of on accident. Yeah. So you've been uh, studying and talking, having interviews with these incredibly talented professional athletes who you don't get to that level. Yeah. There's some innate talent, but a lot of it is grit and, and, and discipline. And then you, you learned the, Hey, that I, I need a little bit more grit and discipline in, in my life. Where do you think that, uh, that, that trigger in your mindset really came from? Like, what was the point where it's like, man, I really need to, I really need to focus on this for myself. Oh yeah. I might. I can tell you exactly what it was. Uh, I had been uh, out on my own for maybe a year or 15 months. And, I, you know, it was going okay, I, I guess. You know, I wasn't, uh, you know, I mean, you're launching your own business. It's terrifying. You know, the only thing between you and failure is you, you know, that you have to just, I mean, I was working my ass off as hard as I could and just, you know, terrified all the time that I was going to fail. It was nonstop. And, you know, people talk a lot about, uh, you know, the, about doubt and fear of failure and, you know, imposter syndrome. And I happen to think that some of that is good, that uh, in order to write a great story, I have to doubt that the story that I'm done with, I have to, I have to doubt that it's great before it can become great, right? I have to doubt that 
I'm done with it. I have to tell it that it's good enough. And so in all that, all that sense, that that's, that's all good. Uh, but it was the, it, the constant fear. And, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night, uh, with a voice, uh, talking to me. This has not happened before or since that said, if you don't, you know, if you don't calm down, uh, you're going to regret if you don't calm down in 20 years, you're going to regret not just your career, but your whole life. And as if, uh, as if that wasn't clear enough, I mean, it literally said it again. And I, I wish I could say that I woke up uh, a changed man. I didn't. Uh, but gradually, I did change. And that was by learning that uh, doing hard things made me more able to do the next hard thing. And probably, you know, there, there's, a, there's a thousand steps along the way. And there's a, probably the place that I learned that first and then, you know, just repeat it over and over and over again. You know, it's not like you oh, hey, now I've got grit, I can stop, right? You have to learn it over and over and over again. Uh, there's a, a place called uh, the Linville Gorge in North Carolina, just the most spectacular, rugged, challenging hike. And, you know, there's not there's not two steps in a row in that place that are the same. It's almost, it feels like you're scrambling the whole time. And I can remember saying to myself, one more step, I can take one more step, one more step, I can take one more step. And that's kind of become my mantra, whatever I happen to be doing. If it's, uh, you know, paddling in the Castlewood Adventure Race, I can take, I can paddle one more time. If it's pedaling, I can pedal, I can go one more mile or whatever. And so that's kind of become my mantra. I can do, I can do one more. Yeah. The, uh, I, I like what you said about starting your own business. I'm, I'm in transitioning from the, the military now and a, a new entrepreneur. And you want to talk about terrifying because my entire life, I've gotten paid on the first one well, of my entire life, my entire adult life. I've gotten paid on the first and the 15th. Uh, there's a level of familiarity there. I've, I've, I understand the system that I'm uh, working in and there's some unknowns, but I've gotten incredibly comfortable with, with the lifestyle that the military affords. And now that I'm going out on my own where, you know, at, at a certain date, you know, that's going to change. And I have to put myself out there and and learn new skills. And, you know, it's not e – I've learned a lot about myself in the process of being an entrepreneur to reach out and, and, and try to obtain coaching clients, to start a podcast, to do all of these things that I'm not comfortable with. Mm -hmm. I, I've learned a lot. But what I have leaned on is my previous experiences of doing other challenging things. I'm like, like, like you said, it's, it's having that doing these difficult things in a controlled environment and, and facing my fear and overcoming adversity in a controlled environment enables me to tap into that. You know, when I'm trying to reach out to a guest who I think might, might turn me down, someone that's a, a recognizable name that, that we all know, because I'm starting, I'm, I'm doing that more and more, yeah. but enables me to, handle the rejections or the unknowns of entrepreneurship. Cause you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you don't know when the money's coming in, you don't know what's going to happen. And uh, so I, that is the, that is my reason for doing developing grit and discipline. And it, it, it's really, it's really paying dividends as I transition into this new career. Yeah. My, I would say mine has, when I first went freelance, I discovered that I didn't have that experience to lean back on that you were describing. That I couldn't say, uh, "Oh, I've done." You know, if I can, I say this all stuff like this all the time now. But uh, like now, I'll say, "Oh, I, if I finish the Castlewood eight-hour eight adventure race, surely I can finish this story that I'm working on. If I can, you know, finish the Go Ruck event, 
surely I can, you know, pitch this story to this magazine that I think might think I'm a loser or whatever. Uh, I didn't have that to, to fall back on, or at least I didn't, I didn't see it in myself. And so that's why I intentionally set out. And I've had a couple of moments along the way in becoming, uh, you know, becoming a, uh, an entrepreneur that were important. Uh, one of them was, uh, so I, I'd written a lot about college football uh, in my previous life at the magazine. And I'd gotten to know uh, David Cutcliffe, who at the time was the head coach at, at Duke. He just recently uh, stepped down. I, I knew him well enough uh, to have conversations with him that weren't about football. And uh, first time I saw him after I got laid off, he uh, he didn't like jab his finger in my chest, but the, the, basically the equivalent of jabbing his finger in my chest. And he said, you can't think of yourself just as a writer anymore. You have to think of yourself as a business owner. And it's interesting that like that was a huge like mind shift for me. And what a strange place for that to come. Like at the first of all, at the time, Duke was, you know, uh, they were they were getting better at football. But uh, you know, what was I even doing covering Duke football? Uh, but that turned out to be really helpful in switching because uh, you know, I I felt like I'd been a I had been a journalist for like 20 years. I sort of felt like I know what a story is, I know how to write a story, I know how to get a story, but that was the end of my abilities. I didn't know how to pitch, I didn't know how to I barely knew how to create a spreadsheet, you know? And so there was a lot of just like, where's the bathroom level questions that I just had to humble myself and ask. And it was really important to have friends along the way. And so now that I've been doing it a while, I, you know, I tell people all the time, ask, you know, writers who ask me questions, ask me whatever you want, as many times as you want, call me, email me, text me, whatever, because there's no way in the world I would have survived the beginning of my freelance career if people hadn't done that for me. What uh, what prompted you to go uh, freelance? Oh, losing my job. I didn't go. I got kicked. Okay, uh, so you lost. The, so there's a drive for necessity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I mean, I tried uh, a little to to get a job, but uh, this was 2013, and the media business is not one where you know a guy with 20 years of experience is likely to get a a job worth taking. If I'm being honest, uh, I surveyed the landscape and thought. Well, I've got two choices. I can look for a job that I'm 85% sure doesn't even exist. And even if it does, I'm not sure if I'm going to get it. Uh, or I can go go it on my own. Uh, and I went on my own and, you know, some days it's the best thing that ever happened to me and some days not so much. But, uh, you know, you keep, you keep plugging away. Every day is an adventure. Yeah. <laughs> so... So, so you ultimately lost your job, that drive for necessity forced you like, I want to continue to do this type of work. And what's, what's great about the shifting landscape of technology and everything that's happening is now, I mean, here we are, you know, I basically have my own radio show, if you will. When I was, you know, 20 years ago, this technology didn't exist and the landscape is changing for now is the easiest time. It is scary to be an entrepreneur. But it is also the easiest time it has ever been to make the transition to, to do that. Yeah. I mean, you, the, the changing landscape, is it's almost hard to keep up with. And yeah. I know it is hard to get, keep up with. My first job, uh, I graduated from college in 1994 and started working at a little newspaper in Michigan. And I thought it was just incredible technology that I could cover. I covered city council. I would uh, cover a city council meeting and... You know, write it all up, and it, uh, it was a, an afternoon paper. And so, a city council meeting that ended at nine o'clock at night, my account of it would be on people's doorsteps at, let's say, noon. And I thought that was just an amazing bit of technology. 
Now my account of it, if I still cover city council meetings, could be in their phone literally five seconds after it ended. Uh, and that's dizzying. You know, I haven't covered that kind of stuff in, in quite a while, but still the, the, the distribution uh, is so different. The means of you know, the, the means of getting a story is still pretty much the same. Uh, you know, use different technology, but the the process is basically the same. But the delivery is so different that it's a it's a different world, completely. It, it, it's just amazing, like you said, how quickly it has advanced and changed. Yeah. And so, how do you think that's lent itself to? I guess, how has that changed your career? I mean, obviously, you're an entrepreneur now, but how is it? Um, how has it made life easier for you in that regard? Oh, easier is not the word I would use. It's made it oh, harder. So made it made it harder. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, trying to keep up with that stuff is really challenging. You know, trying to uh, hone your reporting skills, your storytelling skills, uh, your interviewing skills, all of that, uh, and, and then merging that with with the different technologies. That that's I find that really challenging. There's only so much you can learn and apply and keep those skills up. I'm not sure, frankly, I would say I'm incredibly good at that, that uh, I'm I'm trying to keep up with how technology changes as opposed to, uh, you know, being out in front of it. Uh, it you know, it, it, it has just changed the the amount of information out there is just so much. It was a lot then. And it's just so much more now. I mean, I took a class 25 years ago. That was called information anxiety, which was about how much information is out there and how it's overwhelming. That was before the internet. So, you know, that's changed massively. Yeah. So it's, I mean, the whole world has changed by the, uh, you know, the, the, the way that we deliver information. I remember having Encyclopedia Britannica. I used to have Encyclopedia salesmen that would come by the house. And finally, one day my parents bought a set and I, that was it. I, I just can't even fathom having something that takes up that much room now when you have everything that you need on your cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Imagine the, the amount of information available in your cell phone in five seconds relative and, to that. Yeah. And, and things constantly being updated in real time. How, how do you think we, we as society deal with this? Because I think there's some... It's information overload. Oh yeah, and I would I would say poorly. Uh, I would say our ability to discern uh, good information from bad information is is really low. Uh, we we we, just, we scream at each other on on Twitter and Facebook and social media, and you know there's uh, everything seems like it appears if you read you know the, the paper or you read Twitter the paper. Give me, I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> if, you know, if, if you, if you re, even, you know, traditional media, uh, all we write about is the conflict. We don't really uh, grasp, but that's not an accurate reflection of reality. And yeah, I, I think, I think we're struggling to deal with it big time. I think it's a major problem and I don't, I'm not really sure there's a way to fix it other than don't read, uh, don't read Twitter, don't read Facebook, read books, you know, read, uh, read magazines, read uh, big newspapers uh, but even that's a challenge. Yeah, it's it's hard to, I know one of the frustrating things, it's hard to feel like, you know, you had a president that was always talking about fake news, fake news, fake news. And it, it really does seem like that there's some aspects of the news that are, it's, it's definitely designed to sensationalize and yep. it's definitely causing people to have a lot of fear. Yep. And it's really difficult because you've you, there have been stories where they've had to recant, like they they launched it before because everything, like you said, has to be in in real time, and they're all jockeying for position, and it just makes it incredibly frustrating as a consumer to understand what is real, what's not, and just the sheer amount of choices of media to consume from. Where 
we're so, I mean, as a high performance coach, I'm finding myself with my clients like, okay, how can we consume less so you can stay focused on the things that truly matter? Because you're doing, it's causing us to do too many things yep. and be completely distracted and not stay focused. Yep. And it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's very difficult. Yeah. It's, it's, I think that's one of the great struggles that we all have that, uh, you know, you're sitting around the dinner table with your kids and you're talking about X movie. Oh, what was the name of that movie again? And you can, you can look it up in five seconds, but the next thing you know, someone's on their phone at the dinner table and that's not the best thing in the world either. And then after they look up that, well, then that person was in this movie and that person, and the next thing you know, you've been looking at your phone for 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Then they're up scrolling TikTok and then, yeah. <laughs> then they're doing dance moves. It, it's crazy how it, yeah, it, it distracts us so much. So what are some of the things that we met at the uh, Castlewood eight hour? And now that you're engaged in doing these difficult challenges like this and, mm -hmm. and doing go ruck events and you're a part of uh, F3 and, and some of these other organizations, how has that enabled you to be a better entrepreneur or face other challenges that you have in your life? Oh yeah. That, that would be other than the fact that it's fun and I enjoy it. I would say the reason that I do is the reason that I do. Well, there's two reasons I do hard things. Uh, setting aside the fact that I, I think it's you know fun and and enjoyable, it's because uh, of the you know resilience, endurance, persistence. They're they're like muscles or skills or abilities, and you have to practice them. And so that when hard things happen, uh, you can endure them. Uh, I had. Uh, the hardest, probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do, uh, I gave my mom's eulogy in July. Mm -hmm. She died New Year's Eve last year in Michigan. And we couldn't, uh, she didn't want a funeral. She wanted a party, which is perfectly in keeping with her character and couldn't have it because of COVID. And so finally we could have it in July. And, uh, you know, I've been a writer for a, a long time. I've written, I don't even know how many thousands, millions of words you know, having to write my mom's eulogy was both easy because what subject do I know better than that, but also extremely difficult because I would have to deliver it. And so the day of the delivery, I was just so stressed out, so nervous, not that I would screw it up exactly because that that's just not exactly, I wasn't really worried about screwing it up. It was just, I, you know, just the, the, the pressure of everything was too much. And so I was taking a walk just to try to clear my head. And that phrase, one more step. I can take one more step occurred to me. And I thought, well, you dumbass, that's why you do these hard things. And so instead of one more step, I started to say to myself, one more sentence. You can say one more sentence. And uh, and so I gave the eulogy. I wouldn't say that I knocked it out of the park, but the quality wasn't really the point. Uh, but I did it. And so that's one reason I do these things is because uh, doing the hard thing, you know, paddling for, you know, four miles, riding your bike for 15, tromping through the woods for six to only get passed by some jerk and a do hard thing <laughs> at the very end. Uh, but then I've also discovered, this is a relatively new uh, um, benefit that I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out what to do with, with this as I've discovered that the relationships that get formed in the trenches are so powerful and the friendships are so uh, intense and beneficial that that has become my focus. How can I, uh, and, that, and part of that is because my it, my mom's singular characteristic was she had 8 billion friends. Everybody loved her. Uh, she had a million friends. But I've started to think, okay, having great friends is one thing, but what do you do with that? How do you create that? 
And once you create that, what can you do with that after? And so I'm trying to figure out, like I'm at a crossroads in my life. How do I, how do I combine these two things? This, uh, this ability to uh, do these hard things at which you form these super strong, uh, incredible bonds. Put on top of that, the loneliness that is just uh, epidemic in our society. It was before COVID. It's even worse now. Those, th- those, those things seem to be coalescing in front of me, and I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. There's, yeah, as, as you said that about, uh, you know, connecting with other people and it's the community. Like I think about Castlewood and the community of adventure racers that are there. I think about the community of, of runners when I show up at a, at a uh, you know, a, a marathon level event or even a, even a 5k, right. Show up on a Saturday morning running a 5k or a bike ride, or, you know, people are always like, Jay, why are you out? running isn't that, that's bad for your knees right you're, you're doing 75 hard and you're drinking a gallon of water that's, that's not good for your kidneys and if if you're outside of the crowds that are getting together to do these challenges together there's something to be said about the level of just the connections and the bonds that you make with yeah. doing something challenging that's unlike any other circle of connection that I have anywhere else. And I think until you experience that, it's going to be very hard to understand because for me personally, I don't generally like to go out and run by myself long distance. I like to suffer with friends and it's the, it's the camaraderie and the community around suffering that makes it worthwhile. So when you said that that's a focus area, that's something I'm really intrigued with because when I think about it, yeah, I like to do hard things, I don't necessarily like to do them by myself. I like to do them in a, with a community of people or have a partner to suffer with. I, I would, in a, the Castlewood eight hour adventure race by yourself, that would suck. I, I, mean, yeah. it, I mean, frankly, it sucked with four people on my team. Uh, but doing that, like, what would even be fun about that? Who are you going to talk to? Who are you going to share it with later? I mean, the concept of shared suffering, I'm fascinated by that. And uh, so the, the, the thing that got me thinking about the relationships that you form was uh, you and I talked about this just a little bit. Uh, it's starting, we did it last year. We called it MABA, which was Make America Burpee Again. And the idea was, uh, you, you mentioned F3, which is a, uh, a free men's workout group that I'm a, a member of here uh, near St. Louis. And uh, I, led a, I led an early morning workout where <laughs> we have this hill, we call it 5-0 Hill. And uh, I was trying to think, what is the worst possible way to go up that hill okay if if walking up is the easiest running up is the second easiest and bear crawl is the third third easiest what what like what would be last in terms of uh difficulty so i came up with something we call them sweet bippy burpees so you start off laying on your back and you do a get up so you you know sit up into a standing position then you do a burpee and you frog jump forward lay back down on your back do a get up so basically doing Burpee, frog jump, get ups. I mean, so we call them sweet bippies because you bet your sweet bippy they suck. So we got we get all the way up to the top of the hill and we come back down and it's just we it's just a horrible workout. And one of my buddies said, "What are you trying to do? Make America burpee again?" And we all kind of looked at each other and said, "Oh, oh, I like the sound of that." And a flurry of texts later, we decided, "All right, we're all going to do a hundred burpees a day every day in January." And we massage it a little, say, no, let's do 3,100 because, you know, 100 burpees literally every day. That's maybe not the healthiest thing in the world. We'll let people take a day off. 
So at first it was six of us were going to do it. Then it was 20 and eventually 400 guys agreed to sign up to do it. And we had originally cast it. Uh, the theme was fall down, get back up. Cause that's a burpee fall down, get back up together. The idea was uh, we had just had 2020 had been the worst year of anyone's life. Uh, out, you know, basically since world war two. Right. And so we were going to practice, we were going to learn resilience intentionally together. And then we got done with it and it was awesome, hilarious, funny, terrible. And we realized, yeah, that was, it was about resilience. But the friendships that we have at the end of that are so much more powerful than the resilience, even more powerful than the, re the resilience that this year, that's intentionally what it's going to be is about fighting loneliness. Same thing because it still fits. I'll fall down, get back up together. But the together part is, is really the focus. And so we're going to be, we encourage everybody who's taken part. Uh, and we're, we're hoping to have you know more than 400 after last year. Uh, that that that's the point. Yes, it's great if you can do 100 burpees a day, but the point is to do it in community and to form relationships uh, through doing that. And yeah, it, it's hard to describe the relationships that happen, uh, except for through anecdotes. And the best one was this: we got a blizzard. People in St. Louis remember there was a blizzard last January. We got six or ten inches. It's right in the middle of Maba. We had this long text chain going. And for some reason, I, t I text stupid stuff all the time. So I texted out and I said, the first person to send me video, you have, there has to be video proof. You can't just tell me you did it. Send me video evidence of yourselves doing shirtless burpees out in the snow. I'll buy your next coffee. It wasn't 10 minutes. Everybody on that text chain had done it, including me. Uh, and, and then the next one was the first person to send me video of himself doing burpees with a live raccoon while you are wearing a coonskin cap one day. The guy, somehow he caught a live raccoon and he already had a coonskin cap. So uh, it's the relate, and it was, we're still talking about that a year later. And so it, it's the, it's those bonds that we really want to focus on this year. Oh, that's absolutely hilarious. And I, I just think about the groups that I run in and we do the same type of yeah. smack talking and silly challenges and things like that. And uh, it just makes the suffering. There's something to be said about suffering with a group of people and you find a way to make it fun. Yeah. Yeah. And so if, if people want to look, I, uh, I have a, uh, a, a newsletter called the accidental adventurer. Uh, and that's where I'll, I'll be, there'll be a sign up sheet there and I'll be sort of Covering it isn't the exact word, but uh, I can't think of a better one. I'll be covering it there at the uh, so that yeah, it's a, a Substack uh, newsletter called the Accidental Adventurer. Sounds good. We can uh, drop that in the show notes. So for those listening, if you want to reach out and get connected, they can they can link to that. It sounds fun. I might, yeah, uh, uh, you, you'll get a kick out of this because you, you know being an old army guy, we had a guy who was a, a form, former military who after a, a week or two his burpee number was super high. Uh, he's an F3 guy. His nickname is uh, Disco Ball. He's from uh, Naperville, Illinois. And I'm like, dude, what? What is going on? Why are you? How's your burpee total so high? His answer was he was already doing, as a matter of course, 150 a day. And so you know, so doing 100 would be doing less. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll double it to make it a challenge. And once he doubled it, he thought, well, 300, you know, times 31, uh, that's 9,300. I'm not doing 9,300 burpees and not doing 10,000. So then he upped the ante up to 10,000. I got lots of texts from guys who, or emails from guys who said, you know, I, if I, you know, I'll, I'll work for 25 minutes, then do 10 burpees and get back to work. You know, instead of going to get in the candy bar, I'll do 10 burpees. 
all these ways guys were working burpees into their life. He, uh, when he took the break, was doing 25, which it's one thing to drop and do 10 burpees. You know, you could probably do that in 40 seconds, but to do 25 in a row is that's pretty hard. And he made up a game. I called it burpee go seek, where he was playing hide and seek with his kids. They would go hide and he would do 25 burpees and then go find them. And he ended up doing 11,000 burpees in one month. I did wow. 5,000. I did 5,000. I wasn't even halfway to his total. That's incredible. What yeah. a machine. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. No, burpees are hard. They're incredibly uncomfortable for it. For, uh, I don't know too many exercises that suck worse than a burpee. Yeah. One of the reasons, uh, love isn't the right word, but one of the reasons I love burpees is I did a GORUCK event. And in the, in the, the run up to that, I was talking, I was interviewing the cadre because I was writing about it. So I wanted to interview him to get to know him a little bit. And so if I asked him questions on site, uh, he would know who I was. And he told me, yeah, the, 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 the most efficient way to get yourself ready for an event like go rock, there's basically two thrusters and burpees. Uh, and that, that's one of the, one of the assignments that was, you know, super challenging physically, uh, that I learned a lot from. And I, I might have told you the story already. I can't remember, but, uh, it's the middle of the night. It's like three, three thirty in the morning. We've just done 110 thrusters and run a mile and a half with a 25 minute time limit. This is at three o'clock in the morning after rucking for seven hours. So we're already smoked. Uh, and I got done with that. And I wanted to ask, this cadre, who is a, a Green Beret, former Green Beret, uh, you know, the, the point of all of that is to smoke us, right? To, to destroy us physically and a little bit mentally so that they can put us back together. That's the whole point of the event. And I was trying to ask him, you know, what, what are the physical indicators? What, what, what does a man's body do when you've broken him? What, what, what is the proof that you see in the men around us that we're broken? He didn't answer the question. I asked him again. He's like, and he gave me a look like he didn't know what the hell I was talking about. So I went to the other cadre, tried to ask him. He did the same thing. I'm like, what, what's the matter with these guys? So I went and got back in line, caught my breath, and realized, oh, well, you know what's happening? I'm not actually asking. The, I'm so tired and so mentally fried. I didn't ask either one of them the question I meant to ask them. So I walked back over to him and like took a deep breath and then asked it again. He was like, well, oh, that's what you're trying to ask me. And then he answered. So basically... I was the answer to my own question. <laughs> That's awesome. If you haven't done a go ruck event, they are fantastic. I've done, I've done a few and uh, they're uh, unique experiences for sure. Every one of them has been incredibly different, but yeah. challenging nonetheless. And, and as if to reward me for that, the next thing that happened is, uh, you know, the, 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 one of the cadre, one of the green berets, you know, sticks his immediate little finger into my chest and says, you know, come with me. Friggin' blindfolds me, you know, puts duct tape around my eyes. It's pouring rain. I'm in a park at 3.30 in the morning and this guy's blindfolding me. Like, what the hell? And so for the next 45 minutes, I mean, this was super bad. I mean, this is as powerful as a thing as I've learned. Next 45 minutes, I've got one hand on the guy in front of me, right? One hand on the guy next to me. Got 35, you know, a 30 pound plate in my pack or whatever other food and stuff I had. And uh, for a while, I had a sandbag on my back. And, you know, the power of absolutely relying on those two men, I had no choice. There's nothing I can do but hold on to them. Thankfully, it was, uh, I guess, uh, it was in a uh, subdivision, which is weird. You know, it wasn't out in the woods. So it was a little bit easier to walk because there was sidewalk and then street and then sidewalk. So they would say sidewalk, you know, street, sidewalk, you know, look out your 
you're you're going a little left, you're going to hit the crack in the sidewalk or whatever. Uh, you know, and the point of that was, you know, before you can lead, you have to be willing to be led. Uh, but that was, you know, super powerful, super fun until they ripped the tape off my face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, th- those events are fantastic. Like you said, they, they always do little things like that to teach you. There, there's a lot to be, there's a lot of lessons taught when you're doing those physical events like that. Yep. Yeah. So in your, in your study of, mm-hmm. of, you know, shared suffering, what are some of the things that, that you have learned? Oh boy, we talk all day on that. I, I think that the the first one would be the benefits of it. The second one would be why didn't you know this before? Yeah. Uh, you know, a little bit of self discovery of boy, I've really taken the easy way, uh, didn't understand or appreciate or know uh, the benefits of, of doing hard things. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly the the strength of you know, mentally and physically, just how much better we can always still get, you know, no matter how much, uh, you know, just how that that's the only way to get resilient is to suffer. You know, there, you can't, you can't get that the easy way. The the only way to, to become resilient is to be broken and put back together. That's, that's the only way to do it. I, I, you know, I didn't know that before. I guess I, maybe I would have guessed it if you asked me, but I, I had no practical experience of that uh, whatsoever. You know, overcoming fear has been a big thing. Uh, I would say I sort of had a long-standing fear of heights, uh, and I eventually discovered uh, it wasn't so much a fear of heights as it was not understanding how the stuff that protects you from falling works. So I've done uh, tree climbing, ice climbing, rock climbing, and when I learned how carabiners and ropes and all of that worked, suddenly I wasn't quite so scared anymore. And so, you know, I think that a lot of that is just gaining an understanding of uh, how challenges work and what it takes to succeed. Uh, that's been a big part of it, too. Yeah, I have very much in my life been scared of heights. And the Army has put me in situation to face those fears in in. In like going to like sapper leader course or air assault school where you rappel out of helicopters, rappel off a tower, sapper leader course, we had to rappel people off our back. We had to do it Australian style face forward. But but really it's confidence in in your equipment. And what I've learned is that the fear is still there. However, the confidence that I've gained in my equipment and the people to my left and right, knowing that I'm going to be okay, enables me to continue to to go through the exercise. You know, throw that right hand out there. You know, and, and, and knowing what I need to do uh, to stop from myself from falling. And it's, it's through facing your fears and being put in those situations, you develop confidence. Yep. And uh, that, that's incredibly important to put yourself in those situations to do that. Yeah, I would say uh, from someone who's been through that recently, you're going to be really happy you have that as an entrepreneur. Uh, I had to learn it. I had to learn that on the fly. You've already got that confidence. That's going to help you immensely. Uh, I mean, one of the reasons I got into adventure stuff uh, was to face those fears so that I could face other fears. And yeah, that has become hugely, hugely important. Uh, I had to do both at the same time. You've already got that going in. I think you're, uh, I'd be curious to ask you once you go, you know, once you've been an entrepreneur for a year, I'd be curious to hear, maybe it started already. Maybe you're, uh, facing fears in a way, uh, you know, already, but certainly when you, I mean, you're 
you're jumping out of that plane, right? You you burn. I, I read the the blog you wrote about burning the ships. Uh, you know, you let the ships on fire. That was an act of uh, confidence already. I would be willing to bet if you hadn't been jumping out of planes for a while, you would have been much less willing to light that match to burn the ships. Well, what I've learned is, you know, it's having that learning mindset, that mindset of growth that no matter, yes, I may not know it now and there is fear there. However, there is someone that has done what I am doing. And just like anything else in the military, it's just like, okay, I need to go seek out that individual and I can be trained in whatever that is. And I need to put in the reps and do the reps. And, you know, I, I, I think of the movie, the matrix all the time, you know, it's like where he unplugs himself from the matrix and then he's loading up all of this data. Yeah, I can do jujitsu. You know, you, you can be trained to do certain things if you're willing to roll up the sleeves and do the work. That's the thing is you've got to do the work. You got to get gritty and that is facing your fears and doing some things that are uncomfortable. But a lot of people choose comfort or they choose the, uh, the fear of, of taking on the hardship of learning something new or the fear of looking like an idiot or asking a silly question. Earlier in my life, I was very much terrified to raise my hand in class and ask the stupid question. <laughs> Even in the military, yeah, the early aspects of my military career there's a lot of, uh, it's a type A personality driven organization where people will make fun of you if you're, you know, uh, but I've learned truly that uh, there's usually someone else that's thinking the same thing. Yeah. And by just asking the question, I'm going to learn it and I don't care what people think of me. I have shortened that learning curve uh, significantly and developed the confidence I need to face the fears. The fear is there. It's just a reminder that, uh, that I care. And that um, that I need to, my spidey senses are on, so I need to be careful. Right. Uh, but I know that I can be instructed, and I know that there's equipment there that's going to keep me from falling. There's there's a there's a net there to, that's going to catch me if I do fall of some kind. And uh, you can only do that through putting yourself through those situations. Yeah, one of the th- uh, in the last oh eight eight or ten years, uh, a little bit on purpose and a little bit just by coincidence, I have. Uh, no, I haven't become expert in any of these things, but I've gone at least, you know, once or twice, you know, surfing, rock climbing, ice climbing, you know, dog mushing school, rappelling, canyoneering, uh, this whole long list of, uh, of adventure type things, you know, go ruck, uh, long bike rides, long hikes, all those things. And, you know, the ability to say yes, the ability to take that first step, that's, you know, absolute requirement, all of them. Uh, and then they, they start to they start to be similar, right? The the willingness to try some you know some of the the physical skills, the, the balance, the the strength, the endurance, all of those things start to start to come together. Uh, and but you know you can't you can't do the fifth thing unless you do the first four, you know. So that's a that's been a big thing for me is uh, the willingness to try as as many uh, new things as I humanly can. I wanted to take a quick break and invite you to an exclusive community I host called The Forge. One of my favorite proverbs is, as iron sharpens iron, so one man does another. The Forge is a mastermind, a community of men and women who are invested in their personal growth and development. They want to improve themselves, to be better husbands, to be better wives, to be better parents to their kids, to add value to their team and lead better at work, and to add more value into their community. In The Forge, I teach principles and habits of the world's highest achievers and performers. And as a group, we identify goals, develop strategies to achieve them, and hold one another accountable. We focus on improving our health, our wellness, 
our wealth, our relationships, and living in alignment with our purpose. We work together to focus on what truly matters and have a place where we can discuss difficult topics about life. If you're interested in learning more, go on over to www.jteagues.com forward slash community, where you can learn more about The Forge. You can learn more about my one-on-one coaching experience, sign up for the newsletter, and check out the blog while you're at it. Now back to the show. And a lot of people are scared to try new things because they they don't want to fail or look, oh, I love, like, I love look silly. Like if take surfing for example, uh, I went uh, I went to Hawaii a couple of years ago, and of course, if I'm going to Hawaii, of course I'm going to take surf lessons. And the two best stories are small, you know, falling flat on my face. The three best stories actually that the you know the the, the first. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, at North Shore, Hawaii, right? What am I even doing? How, how did I get here? Uh, you know, I paddle up the, you know, instructor yells the, you know, the, the four-step command. I, I cut it down to three, but whatever. Uh, and first wave, I'm standing up. I'm like, holy shit, I'm riding this first wave. And I remember the last thing he had said was, if, if you're riding, don't look back. And so I'm riding and I thought, I wonder why I said, don't look back. And I looked back and I mean, I didn't even barely move my eyes and I was face first in the water. Uh, two rides later, I just got swallowed whole by a wave right before, before I even really got up. I got back to him and I said, what the hell happened? That was, that was weird. And he had like this serene, like Zen look on his face. And he, and he said, you know, uh, I, I watched a million waves and sometimes they work out perfectly. And sometimes it crashes right on your head. You never know which one is which until you get up on the board. Uh, and then, so I'm like, well, gosh, that's all of life summed up right there, right? You, you got, you got to get, you got to get up on the board. Maybe you'll ride it. Maybe the wave will swallow you whole. And then, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of, uh, guides in these things. And like you were saying about confidence in the guide, confidence in the coach, uh, you learn pretty quickly who's a good coach and who's not. So a couple of days later, I'm surfing again, this time at Waikiki Beach. And uh, I, I got to the point where, you know, these waves weren't super big, so I could pretty much get up. I couldn't turn. I couldn't stop. I couldn't do anything. But I could get up and ride just about every wave. And so I uh, I got up on that one, and I, uh, I, like, I, I looked down super fast, and I went too fast, and I fell right away. And so I, like, told myself, uh, you went too fast, and you looked down. Don't do that again. I paddle back out, and before I could even say anything to the guide, I mean, he repeated back to me the exact critique I had said to myself, and I thought he had. Frankly, I, I wasn't even sure he had been watching. Uh, and, uh, but I thought, okay, that guy knows what he's talking about because he he diagnosed exactly as I mean, it was like he was in. It was really kind of creepy that he used even the same language that I had used. That's incredible. I I uh, was stationed in Hawaii, and I went up to uh, I think Pipeline up in North Shore, and mm-hmm. I got pummeled i got i got pummeled out there those waves they don't look like they're very big until you're laying down and they're right there but you but you make a great point about failure right people don't want to fail they don't want to try surfing and be terrible at it frankly as a journalist what fun is it if if you don't fail what did you what did you recover from what did you overcome what did you even accomplish if failure really wasn't on the table that's boring who who wants to do I don't think I want to do something if I already know how to do it. You know, if I'm already an expert at it, what, what, what am I going to, what am I going to write about? What am I going to learn? How am I going to grow? Now, granted, there are, yeah, it is fun to be an expert too. But uh, yeah, if I didn't crash surfing, I 
we wouldn't be having this conversation. What would I have gotten out of it? Yeah. That's something I've been looking at as far as adventure races. Something I learned uh, was that last year I had kind of a light bulb moment. Like every time, I, and I've, I've been very proud of this, like every time that I have lined up to do a run or an endurance cycling event or any any event that I've done, I have always finished. I'm like, no matter what happens, if I line up and you hit the start, I'm going to finish this thing if it kills me. <laughs> I have never DNF'd. I've come close a couple of times, but I've never DNF'd. And there's a couple events that scared me, and I actually just joined the lottery for them. But one is the uh, the Leadville Trail Run, and the okay. one is the Leadville Mountain Bike Race, the Leadville 100. Both of those events scare me, and uh, I just signed up for the lottery, and I'll find out next month if I've made either one of those. But it's it it's I need something to fail. I think I need a humbling event. I've been watching the uh, the Barkley Marathons. Are you familiar with the Barkley? Is that the one in Kentucky where it's so one yeah. in Kentucky, only 15 people have ever finished it. Yeah. It's it's really designed for you to fail. Just watching these accomplished runners face that failure uh, for them, I think is there's there's a lot to be said in in failing something catastrophically like that was something that you're comfortable with. Because yeah. I feel like I've maybe gotten a little bit too comfortable with my endurance exploits, and I need something that that's going to push me way way out there. And I, um, yeah. I set up a story. Uh, I, I, I challenged myself on an assignment in a similar way four years ago. I, uh, I had this idea uh, that I wanted to see if I could uh, get my first. I, I used to I used to play a ton of golf. Now that I've got two kids, I don't I don't play nearly as much. But I wanted to try to get my first hole in one. And so the idea was: there's a par three course. I live in suburban St. Louis. There's a par three course about six miles from my house. And so I talked this golf magazine into paying me to write this story that I would play the same uh, same par three holes over and over and over and over again uh, to see if I could uh, get my first hole in one. And the idea was to try to learn to keep trying through failure. Uh, and so that was uh, – I'd sort of like been been in this rut where I, I sort of felt like I was starting things and not really finishing them. Like I had this long list uh, of classic books that I had started and not finished. And I started to see that as a little bit of a weakness. I was just dabbling. I wasn't in the endurance stuff like I am now. Uh, and so that was, I, I saw that as a, as a, a way to build uh, like sort of mental strength to keep doing something uh, in the face of constant failure. Hmm. So how did you end up doing uh, shot number 1,589 went in. Wow. How yeah. long did that take you? It took me, uh, two months, 32 trips to the golf course. And yeah, shot 1,589. I know it'd be hard to, I, I'm not a golfer. So mm -hmm. for someone listening, like, is that, is that a reasonable amount of time? Is that something, is this like a lightning strike kind of event? Could you have yeah, probably? I would, I, frankly, I, I would say I was pretty surprised that I got it. That, you know, the, uh, the odds uh, are uh, one in 15,000. So I, but, you know, I, it was, you know, I had my thumb on the scale a little bit in that I was playing the same holes over and over and over again. But yeah, nobody, uh, nobody thought I was going to get it. I don't think like people were like, they were cheering me on, like when I post about it. And then afterwards, like my dad's like, I didn't think you were going to get it. My editor said, I didn't think you were going to get it. All my friends said, I didn't think you were going to get it. Uh, but, the, you know, but the, the fun of that was, you know, yeah, the, the, the trying over and over and over again. Uh, but then, you know, I, I learned a similar lesson 
in that that I did with MABA. That uh, while I first thought it was going to be uh, an exercise in, in persistence and uh, sticking it out when you want to quit, I ended up inviting a lot of friends with, to go with me. And that turned into something else entirely. That it was, then it became about playing golf with my friends uh, while still also being about getting the hole in one. But the other thing that I learned in that too is I call it uh, the power of almost. And I wrote an essay about this, but that I had, um, I think I had five shots. If I'm, I'm getting some of the numbers mixed up now, but I think I had five shots that were within two feet, including one early in the morning where you could see the dew and it rolled by the hole. Let me see about, about that much. And I had, I had a tape measure with me to measure how close I was. That one was four inches away. And so I was like sort of doing this mental thing. Okay. Are you happy that you almost made it or are you pissed that you came that close and didn't win? Okay. Sort of similar to, let's say you and I, you know, let's say you, you didn't, you didn't beat me for a 36, which frankly isn't all that impressive. But let's say you and I were going for the win when you passed me in the last 200 feet. What is the, what is, how would I respond to that? Would I say, I finished second in the Castlewood adventure race and I almost won the damn thing? Or would I say, I lost it in the last 200 yards? You know, so the, and so my, my take on it is in the, and this is a, the, the lesson for the entrepreneur is sometimes the almost leads to the success. Okay. Yeah. So I've had a lot of stories that I pitch that I'll hear back from the editor and they'll say, well, I love that idea, but it's not right for us for this reason. Or I love that idea, but we just did a story just like that. When I get a no like that, I always keep going because I know from experience that an almost is going to lead to a yes. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, uh, there's value in that in the business world. And there's value in that in the, in the endurance, in the exercise, in the, uh, persistence world that if you, you know, if you almost finish an Ironman, you're going to finish it the next time. Right. Yeah. If you get back up and try it again. Yeah. If you yeah. don't want to defeat you, it's, it's yeah. that persistent, uh, getting up and doing it anyway. When that ball sunk in the hole and actually went in, what mm-hmm. what were your emotions? How did, what did, what did you? How was that for you? Oh, that day was that day. It was one of the. I'm not gonna lie, it's one of the best five minutes of my life. Now you gotta go back to about six thirty in the morning. Uh, I'm nervous because we set a three month timeline and I'm at the two month point. So now I've got I'm more than halfway done and I'm gonna be gone a lot. So my ability to play is going going to diminish. My kids. Uh, had been going with me, and it's riotously funny to take two little girls to the golf course. They think it's a playground. And so I said to my daughter, do you want to go with me? And she said, and she was reading, so she said no. I get in the, I get in the garage, and it, I had this light bulb moment that a friend of mine had sent me a text that said when he got his hole-in-one, there was nobody around. And it was like a command. Be sure when you get it that there's somebody there. Okay. It, like, it, it wasn't if, it was when. And so I closed the door, went back in the house, went up to her bedroom and said, I'll buy you Dunkin'. And I didn't even have to say Dunkin' Donuts. I'll buy you Dunkin' Donuts if you go with me. She was in the car before I finished saying Dunkin' Donuts. Get in the car. I buy her a donut. She's eating it. She's having the time of her life. We're on, uh, we're on the tee. And I promise you, I've got video evidence that she is cheering. Daddy, daddy, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one can. So I'm all set up to give her the memory of a lifetime. Dramatic swing, thud, ball rolls like 30 feet, complete duff. But I'm hitting like 10 shots per tee. 
So I, so I, I sweet and she's taking video and I told her a hundred times, uh, shut off the video, you know, after the ball hits the green, because I don't want to destroy my memory. I swing, I hit the ball and I say, Oh, that's got a chance. Then my daughter says, Oh, that's going to be close. She stops recording. Oh, and the ball goes in the hole. Oh, <laughs> but you know, the funny thing is she was being obedient because I told her a hundred times to stop recording. I'm like, damn it. The first time she's obedient and this is what happens. But then, uh, she turns the recorder back on and she's like, should we call mommy? And I said, well, let's, you know, let's go make sure the ball is still in the hole, you know, to make sure it actually went in, even though I knew it did. And so we've got this great video of us, you know, running to the cart, driving to the hole. Uh, we run up to the ball, into the hole, and she says, it's in. Now should we call mommy? So, yeah, that was that was pretty great. And, and on top of all that, I got a hole in one. That's outstanding. What an awesome story. How, like, so when you went out to the golf course, like, did you just spend like an hour out there just swinging from the tee? Like, how, much, how do you go about uh, doing that? Yeah, I, uh, I, I had a notebook where I would uh, keep track of shots. And I think I kept track of how many hit the, how many were on the green, how many were within 20 feet and how many were within five feet. And so it was, uh, 1,589 shots. And I think 799 of them, I think were on the green and then, you know, somewhere, and then, you know, a bunch were closer than that. So I would typically uh, play the same hole. I would hit like 10 shots and then go get them. And usually I putted whichever one was closest just so I could work on the other uh, skills of my game, but putting didn't, putting didn't matter. So I, I, sometimes I didn't bother. And if there was nothing on the green, I just picked them all up, but I actually got strangely enough. I got the improvement in my game was in putting, even though I wasn't working on that, which doesn't make any sense. But I mean, it was, sometimes it was like putting into a Frisbee. I was making so many that, and that, that skill has since abandoned me. <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't build that skill anymore, but what, what did your editor say when you finally made it before the cutoff? Uh, I think he was shocked. Uh, no way. I, th- I think his text was no way. Cause I, I sent him a, a picture of the ball in the hole. Uh, and he said, Oh no way. And so, uh, we go back to the, the clubhouse where, uh, we had, I, you know, gotten to be friends with the, the clubhouse manager. Uh, and I, you know, I walked in with my arms up and she's like, no, no, you didn't. And I said, yeah, yeah, I did. And then we went back out to the green to take some more pictures and there was guys on the, on the tee and they're like, is that you? We heard somebody yelling. So no, they didn't, they didn't know what it was, but yeah, I, I yelled super loud through my club in the air. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that was, <laughs> and you get to share that with your daughter. That's a memory yeah. that you'll have forever. Yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. So if someone's listening to this mm-hmm. and they were very much in a spot like you were uh, very comfortable most of, of their life and what, how do you encourage or inspire someone to start the path of doing some, something challenging or difficult so they can put in the reps to be more resilient and gritty? Oh, that's a great question. How do you convince? Well, the, yeah. I, I think the, the first thing I would tell them, I think I would start at the end and say, the friends that I have and the stories that I tell and the experiences of my life are so incredible that my life is completely different and completely better because of that. And along the way, you're going to learn persistence, 
and endurance and resilience that you're it's going to be there when you need it now that, that actually that answer has changed for me i would six months ago i would have started with the persistence and the endurance and the resilience but so, something has changed for me where it's become uh they are more the means to the end and now the end is the friendships and the relationships and uh the, the shared suffering and the having friends to hug their necks and to just marvel at the ridiculous situations we get ourselves into, you know, talking about go rock, you know, hiking through the, uh, pouring down rain in the dark and laughing about that afterwards. I think that, I think I would start with that and that, Oh yeah. And also no matter what happens in your life, you're going to be able to, to, to lean back on these incredibly difficult challenges. Uh, but yeah, a, a year ago, I would I would have led with the res, with the resilience. I think I think my outlook on that has changed. That's still obviously still super important, but I feel like I'm um, at least they're uh, they're equal now. Yeah, I just had a thought of doing. Uh, I did a go ruck up at Jefferson City, and it was winter time. They, they the cadre had us out there doing hydro burpees out in the Missouri River, and it was so so cold. So cold. I remember just, I was at my breaking point. Like I can't do any more of these. And uh, we all interlocked together as a group. And I, and some of my closer friends had went to this event and uh, we, we just got in there and we, we finished up and I still have a go ruck patch with the Missouri mud kind of dried on it. It's one of my, it's one of my favorite, we got some great photos from it, but one of my favorite experiences with some of my closest friends was doing something I never thought that I would ever do anything as silly as that. And as much yeah. as I hated it at the moment, looking back, it's one, it's just a fantastically fond memory. And it's up in my forerunner, yep. my little patch. And I see it all the time. I see it little, little, uh, the mud on there. And I always think about that experience, that incredible experience I had. Yeah, I, I would say the, the beginning of my adventure right, uh, life was a two-day hike uh, on the Appalachian Trail. Had no experience in that whatsoever, uh, but wanted to do it. And uh, we got there and it was raining so, it was, in, I've never seen rain that hard. I mean, the animals were lining up two by two to get in this giant wooden boat. I'd never seen anything like it. <laughs> and, it, it and so uh, I had rain pants, these cheap rain pants I had bought at uh, Walmart or whatever. And we're not on the trail five minutes. And on my right thigh, I get a snag. It circles all the way around and the pant like literally drops down to my boot. Half an hour later, same thing. So I've, I've got these rain pants that are now in, literally they're in three pieces. Like it looks, it looks like I'm wearing shorts and leg warmers. And it's just still downpouring. And my friends are laughing at me like I'm some kind of idiot because I've got these pants that lasted, you know, half an hour. And it's raining so hard. And it's actually cold enough that it's borderline dangerous uh, because we're not going to be able to start a fire. We had planned on camping. We ended up staying in this... Uh, in a, a shelter. Uh, it was an old barn. You know, that's what it's there for. It's a shelter on the AT. I think it's gone now. And I think I counted, there was 26 people staying in this shelter, all of them shivering, uh, 22 of them smoking pot. The only people, only four people who won't smoke smoking pot were me and my three friends. And I'm not even positive about two of them. I'm just saying. But, uh, one of the guys, uh, my, you know, one of your, one of your questions on the sheet you sent me was, you know, who are the important people in your life? My friend Andy, uh, in terms of adult friends would be, you know, right up there. Uh, and so just the, the experience of being soaking wet and miserable and just laughing hysterically 
So now he and I have hiked all over the place, gone on adventures in New Mexico, Colorado, Tennessee, North Carolina, all over the place. And it starts with this just miserable, it was raining so hard that the trail, you know, the trail's only like that wide, literally was running water. So you either walk through the water or you walk with your feet, you know, kind of like a penguin uh, on the side of it. And I wouldn't remember that hike at all if it wasn't horrible. It would just, it would just be, it would, it would have faded into the, the murkiness of the depths of your memory, whatever. But the misery of it makes it powerful and it makes you friends with it. And, you know, whenever that picture shows up in our, either one of our memories, one of us sends it to the other and makes fun of me because there's this picture of me sitting on the ground with these pants and three pieces. I just look like, I look ridiculous. But it's also one of the, you know, if I could take 10 pictures of me to show somebody, you know, what, what is, like, what is the power of life, that picture would be one of them. Yeah, no, I, I, I just think about all the challenges that I've been through and yeah, they usually had some type of hardship around them. Some of my fondest memories at, at the time, incredibly miserable, yep. but looking back at something you can laugh about. Uh, if you're with people, it's always a story that you share and it's that, um, I don't know when you have, when you experience challenges with people, it definitely deepens your friendship with, with people. You have a deeper yeah. commonality and uh, that's, you know, we as humans need deep connection. And I look at the circle of friends that, that I have. I got different pools of people, but the, the ones that I suffer with the most and have challenge and endure things with, you know, I'm closer to them than I am, you know, other pockets of people. Yeah. I, I, uh, uh, I turned 50 in October and I conceived this adventure that I called 50-50-50. And we hiked 50 miles biked 50 miles, and canoed 50 miles, all in one five-day trip to Wisconsin. Uh, you know, I somehow I have 10 friends or nine friends with me, so 10 of us total. And the, the physical part was okay. You know, the, the hiking, we did, the hike took three days, the bike took one, and then day four in the canoe, I had had massive insomnia. So the, the day before the canoe, uh, I, I hiked eight miles and biked, 54 or 56, I don't remember what the final total was. And then I slept about two hours. Uh, got in the boat, and I mean, I was a mess. Uh, I could barely think straight. I was almost a little reluctant to talk because I didn't want my friends to recognize the condition I was in because I was worried they were going to tell me, you're done. You, you can't keep going. We get in the canoe. And uh, Or as we were getting into the canoe, I had this thought. There are two people in the world who I want in the back of that canoe. One of them is that friend Andy that I just mentioned. He wasn't there. The other one was my friend Rob, Rob French. He's a former uh, F-15 fighter pilot, and he was there. And we hadn't really like set, sorted out who's going to be in whose canoe or whatever. So I just went up to him and I said, you're going to be in the back of my canoe. I didn't ask him. I told him because I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm only barely capable of participating right now. I think I can paddle. That's it. And I ate about five pounds of M&Ms. I drank about a gallon of water with uh, electrolytes in it. And I started to rally a little bit. He's got this picture of me uh, taken from the back of the canoe with this gorgeous blue sky, blue sky like God's showing off. And, it, and I'm, so I'm kind of like turned back like that. Just, it's just this great picture of me. And I look alive and bright, vibrant. 
And I'm looking at that picture going, I know that I'm half dead in that picture. And we have a picture on the water or on the eating dinner later on where I felt better. And in this picture, I look like I got run over by a truck. Uh, so the reason I say all that is those friendships and that knowing, that absolute knowing that somebody's got you, you only learn that. You only learn that by doing hard things. You can't, there's no other way to learn that. And Rob and I had been through stuff together. We're, we're, we're close friends. We work out together multiple times a week. I know he's a shit kicker. So I knew, it, I mean, plus, let's be honest, he's a lieutenant colonel in the Missouri Air National Guard. You don't become a lieutenant colonel in the Air, Missouri Air National Guard by being a slouch. And he's also a former F-15 fighter pilot. So he's got, you know, some mental and physical attributes that I was already familiar with. But we also had that strength of relationship. But you, you only build that. You only build that by going through hard things together. Absolutely. Absolutely. I could not oh, agree more. And also, I talked about make America burpee again. He's the one who made up that phrase. He's the one who said at the end of that workout, what do you try to do? Make America burpee again? So also, I know that he's clever. So That's awesome. Well, we're, we're over an hour here. So is there anything that you'd like to add on the topic of your research of, of grit and doing hard things and, and, and whatnot that uh, someone would need to know? Yeah. I, I, the one other thing that I would say is uh, in, in, in writing magazine profiles and getting to know people and talking to both, you know, the, the people who, in, who endure the thing that I'm writing about and the people around the people who endure the thing that I'm writing about. I, I learned a couple of things uh, that there, there's a difference between going through something hard, like we're talking about where we are choosing to go through it. And in a literal sense, we could quit if we wanted. I could have walked off a 50, 50, 50. Uh, and there would be, there's really no consequence to my life. Right. Uh, but the people that I'm talking about, you know, this is like, you know, death, death and destruction and cancer and car accidents, stuff like that, where they have to endure, they don't have any choice. But I think it's, the, I, the similarity is that it, it, it's still, it's still roughly the same. Um, what I've been, what I was surprised by was a couple of things is the number of people who, who will say as bad as that was and as terrible as it was, it has made me who I am and I wouldn't take it out of my life if I could. That's not universal. And I have occasionally asked people that question and frankly regretted it because I think it made me sound insensitive. I thought that was going to get one answer and I was like, and they were like, you're an idiot. No, oh, of course I would undo that. Uh, but more often than not, uh, it, is be, it is so important to their sense of self and their ability to endure, which is inseparable from who they have become. That they can, and, and honestly, they, they, they can't imagine their life without it. So it, it doesn't matter anyway. That's really interesting to me. I'm still trying to understand that. Uh, so that, that would be that would be one. Hmm. And just you know, and some people, one one woman I profiled in, in particular, she lost a daughter and a husband in the span of like less than a year. Uh, she was in Alaska and she was going to get fired when she had her baby tucked uh, up inside her parka, which is the way moms have carried babies in Alaska since. There have been moms to carry babies in Alaska. She gets to the firewood. You know, they were homesteaders. She gets to the firewood uh, area and the baby's dead. And a few months later, her husband dies. Oh. And she became an Ironman triathlete and a dog musher to learn to endure 
the personal suffering she was going with, almost like she was transferring the personal suffering to physical suffering and enduring both at the same time. Uh, so people, people are resilient. They are stronger than you think. Uh, but the only way to find out if you have it is to be tested. And we, we don't like that. We teach ourselves, we are taught from the beginning that, that we don't want to be tested when really what we should do is test ourselves. So we're prepared when it comes. Yeah. We kind of alluded to that the very beginning of this conversation with just the, the media and the, the comfort and all of those things are there's, we live in such an abundant society. We're tremendously blessed, but with that, I think that we have become incredibly comfortable and there are a lot of things that keep us distracted. Hence the, the mantra, do hard things, take the, the path of, 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 of resistance and, and difficulty and challenge because you're going to live a better, more fulfilling life with deeper connection. You're, you're going to level up in so many different ways. It's gloriously countercultural. That's, you know, it's, I mean, imagine a culture where we have to convince ourselves to do hard things. Yeah. yeah. The, the very requirement that your podcast exists and it's a requirement, we need podcasts like yours. That speaks to something about society that I just, I, I think it's kind of sad. That we have to be. I used to be a card carrying member of it, so I can. Uh, I feel like I can comfortably say uh, we need to be convinced to do hard things. So. And and biologically, as human beings, we're designed to take on difficult things because we've been doing that for centuries. It's only just recently that we now have this culture of complete comfort. That's that's in the history of mankind. That's very unusual. Yeah. Like a hundred years ago, just think about going to the dentist a hundred years ago or going to the doctor, like. Technology has advanced so much in the short in such a short amount of time, yeah. and uh, I don't think we as humans really know what to do with that. I, I, think, I, I mean, yeah, we, we don't we don't have to work for food. Yeah, you know, we don't have to hunt. We don't have to gather. Uh, we have to go to the grocery store and put a little plastic thing in there. Now, I'm not saying that's bad. Obviously, that's good. Uh, you know, the, the simplicity of that is good. But it, it, there's no question it's made us soft, and it, uh, we don't know how to endure hard things. So yeah, we'll be there. Well, we're, we're at an hour 10 and I always like to finish up the podcast kind of just talking about some high performance habits of, of my guests. So what I'd like to know is what is your, uh, what is your morning routine typically look like? Uh, I've actually got two. Uh, if I'm going to a workout uh, with, you know, F3 workouts, we've discussed F3 a little bit. They are almost always uh, at 530 in the morning. So if I'm going to that, I get up at 445 uh, just out of habit. I I can't go to work out without having a cup of coffee first. People think I'm crazy. If I don't have coffee and I go to work out, my head's going to explode. So I'll have a cup of coffee and usually like a granola bar or something. Uh, just that's not a health thing. It's just a, a habit thing that I, I I can't go to work out without coffee or without something in my stomach. And so then that would be, I would get to the workout at, you know, 5.45 workouts, usually from 5.30 to 6.15. And then a lot of times we'll go get coffee and talk because that's, as I've probably made clear, that's the relationships are, you know, are at least as important as the fitness. And then I get home and chaos starts getting kids to school, getting breakfast made, getting myself fed. And then I, you know, usually start work right around nine. Non-workout days, uh, habitually, I get up and read. Uh, usually, so I'm, a, I'm a Christian. And so it's either the Bible or a... Uh, you know, a theological book. That's how I like to start my day. I, I actually, I developed sort of a mantra about two or three years ago, just, you know, related to the social media stuff we were talking about. 
and how that infiltrates your brain and has you thinking about things you kind of don't want to think about. And so I ask myself, what do you want to think about today? I ask myself that as often as I can and that I try to use that to govern what I read, what I click on. And so therefore, it, I give myself a little bit more control over what I'm going to think about that day. Mm. So a little bit more intention to your day yeah. and, what you're and, that, and lining everything up with that. Yeah, I would say intentionality has been a big struggle for me over the years. I'm working on it. No, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. What uh, what book or books have made the greatest impact? Maybe a book that you've gifted the most. Hmm. Something's been very influential to you. Um, you know, I I, I saw that uh, question, and uh, I don't think you're going to hear this answer a- again. But there's a book called uh, Parliament of Horrors. It's by P.G. O'Rourke, and he, uh, when I was a young journalist, he was by far and away my favorite writer. Uh, I just I happen to think that book is a masterpiece of uh, humor, writing, political commentary, reporting. Uh, I just, I read that and thought, how can I learn to write like that? And some writing coaches will tell you, develop your own style. Some will say, you know, sort of mimic other, other writers until you develop your own style. And I hit him and along with a few others, I copied them as much as I possibly could until I developed my own style. And then after that, I would say, I'm a huge C.S. Lewis fan. I've read the Chronicle of Narnia's, the Chronicles of Narnia books, both for my own enjoyment and to my kids uh, many times. And again, it's a masterpiece. I can, there's, th- there's however many books in the series, there's only one that I don't like. And there's a couple of them where I can't find a word that I would change. So uh, I really admire the craft in that book. That's awesome. So Parliament of Horrors. And Parliament then, of Horrors, yeah, by P.G. O'Rourke. And then the Narnia series. Yeah. Awesome. What are you currently, what is your current pursuit? What is your current challenge? You talk about doing hard things. What are you currently working on that's hard? Uh, working on MABA. Uh, so we're, we're talking now, it's uh, mid-December. Uh, that's going to, that launches January 1st. Uh, you know, I just, I, I'm really passionate about the way that I think that that could help men uh, and, and fight loneliness. Uh, you know, that's at, that's at epidemic levels. Uh, you know, I, I've read research that loneliness is worse for us than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Mm-hmm. So if I can convince people to do a hundred, a hundred burpees, not only is that, you know, better for you than smoking, smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, uh, there's no way you're going to do a hundred burpees a day with your friends and not have more friends at the end. So that, that's the big thing. And, and honestly, trying to figure out, uh, you know, the, this, this convergence of, uh, adventure and shared suffering and the relationships that result. And, you know, my ability to persuade people to join me in these silly adventures, these grand adventures, I'm trying to figure out, is that just like a stage of life, just something I'm doing now, or is that something more profound? Uh, I haven't quite figured that out yet, but I'm working on it. Hmm. As I think about that and I look at my life, because I feel like for the most of my adult life, I've been taking on challenges. That was the means to me getting out of a, uh, you know, I started with running and a running coach mm-hmm. when I was in high school that intervened when I was having a rough time and it transitioned, enabled me to transition to the military. But it's always been like something I've always had to train for something or do something difficult, have something on the schedule that challenged me. Mm-hmm to motivate me and inspire me. And I just, as I 
I don't know, I'll do an event. I'm like, never again. I'll never do that crap again. And I sign up right away. And then I like over this weekend, I saw the the lottery to the Leadvilles. And I'm like, you know what? That's a bucket list item. I'm at a point in my life where I'm transitioning from the military. I'm going to be stable this year. I could actually adequately change or uh, I'm sorry, uh, train for it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just go for it. Just throw my name in the hat, you know, and we'll see what happens if I make the lottery. Maybe I won't, you know, but I, I don't know. I don't know that. Um, I, I guess there's some people that they'll have different hobbies that come up, but I, I just don't see myself slowing down. Oh yeah. No, I, it's, I, I, uh, I keep myself, I call it just in case shape. Just uh, in case. Yep. Just in case, just in case uh, a friend invites me to do the Castlewood. Uh, eight-hour adventure race. I'm pretty sure I can do it. Uh, just in case we do. Well, no, I I've been training for Maba, but you know, just in case. Uh, okay, 50, 50, 50. You know that the bike 50 miles, yeah. hike 50 miles, bike 50 miles, canoe 50 miles. I had that idea for a while, and a lot of times I can't do these adventures unless I sell a story on it. And so that's kind of the way I phrase it: is just in case an editor says yes to 50, 50, 50 after I suggest it. I better, I better be pretty sure that I can do it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Tough Mudder, same thing. I sold the story on Tough Mudder. Uh, and I thought, well, I better make sure that I can do it. So I, I try to keep myself at, a, at a, high, a high enough level that any reasonable event that I would consider doing, uh, I can pretty much be certain I can do it. I mean, I, I can't go run a marathon tomorrow, but you know, I've done three 250-mile bike rides in the last three years without you know, like having to hyper-train for it just because I'm in good enough cardio shape that I just need to get on the bike and go. So, yeah. How, how I like your just in case. Uh, I always think I can, my just in case is being able to run a half marathon. If I wanted to with, I could, I'd probably suffer through it for sure, yeah. but I could finish yeah. it. That's instead a, of, that's a, you, you make a great point. Uh, yeah. am I going to, am I going to set some kind of record? Am I going to set up a, a personal best? No. Well, no, but uh, I'm also, I'm going to be able to walk at the end of it, you know, uh, yeah. Castlewood, I trained, you know, specifically for a, a little, you know, but I, I, I don't have a mountain bike and that's the one I'm going to struggle at. So uh, I couldn't really train for the mountain biking part, but, uh, you know, you don't really have to trade for the, the canoe parts. Not hard that, you know, you're just paddling. That doesn't take anything. And the, the hiking, uh, yeah, five years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do it, but now, uh, not super hard. You wouldn't think paddling is hard, but people in their canoes, they're doing this the whole time. Oh my I just zip right. My training for the MR340, I, I've had some of the fastest splits on the Castlewood through the canoe just because j- just by training and keeping it straight because people are just, they don't train for it and they're just all over the damn place. You know, it's funny that you say that. When we did, cap, I, my first Castlewood was two years ago and it was me and this, uh, just inc- one of the great inspirations in my fitness life is this man. His name is Fred Williams. He's a 61-year-old gastroenterologist. Nickname is Honeypot. He's 61. He can do push-ups till you get bored of counting them. And he uh, and he's a great runner. He's an incredible mountain biker. Just you want I can't imagine admiring somebody more than admire him. Uh, he invites me to do uh, Castlewood with him two years ago. It's me and him and two other guys. And the other two guys are in one canoe, and, and me and Honeypot are are in the other one. He sits in the back. I sit in the front. And it turns out Honeypot is absolutely incredible at everything except steering a canoe. And we spun around completely three times, I think, and beached ourselves twice. <laughs> this year, This year, I said, Honeypot, I'm not getting in your canoe. You go with the other guy. I'll go with this guy. 
And so we were both in the front and we went perfectly straight. I wouldn't say that our splits were all that good, but frankly, I think that's a little bit because we weren't trying to crush it. We were just paddling, but we, we lost a ton of positions last year and barely lost any this year. Yeah, so. That's awesome. That's awesome. We got, you got better. <laughs> yeah, well, I always like to turn over the, uh, the, 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 the interview over to my guests, just to ask me a final question. Uh, what, what questions do you have for me? Yeah. I, I'm curious, like knowing your, your, your biography, how much of your resilience, you know, and applying it to your life, when did that become an intentional thing? Like, so when did the running transition from I'm just running to I'm running for a purpose because I know I'm getting better for the rest of my life. Cause that, it took a while for me to realize that when did it, when did it happen for you? When I was invited to cross country practice by my coach, that was the first time in my life that I felt someone, I just looked up to them as a positive role model and as part of a team. I'm like, okay, there's something to this. And I felt challenged and I was naturally kind of good at it. I kind of knew right away and I knew that I needed something to keep me out of trouble so I could finish mm-hmm. high school. I, I grew up in a very impoverished community. Not a lot of people made it out of the neighborhood that, that I was in. And that, j- j- that got me through okay. um, high school. So I knew at a very early age that that was like the, that's what I needed to do. That was my handrail of success was to do these difficult things. And I have continued to do that because when I joined the military, having an abusive upbringing, I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself. I had some natural physical ability, but there were some confidence issues that I had. Like I was very soft-spoken. I was not confident in my leadership. I had trouble making eye contact with people. Wow. That well, wait, 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 hold on a second. So you've been transformed, obviously, because you, you sound like you're describing somebody else. Oh, I'm absolutely transformed. Mm-hmm. I, I would say my communication, the recruiting duty really threw me. Um, out of my comfort zone in regards to my confidence and ability to speak and communicate. It was the drive for necessity to make recruiting mission to be like, okay, uh, you need to go out to the community. And I was out in St. Louis. I was in, I was assigned to Manchester recruiting station and I was had to go out and talk to people about the army and joining the army where you're told no day in and day out. That was the most difficult assignment that I had ever had was, was that assignment. Because here I am. This is something that's near and dear to my heart. I'm getting rejected day in and day out. No, 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 no. And I had to, I was terrified to go out and talk to people. And that, you know, all of these other difficult things that I've been doing really helped me navigate through, you know, that that very challenging assignment. And it was through doing the repetitions, like it transformed me to a completely different person, completely different type of military leader. And it was it was through that very challenging assignment. And I only made it through that challenging assignment because of all the other difficult things I've done. So like I said, it's been a handrail of success for me. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm a completely different person. People that knew me like back in high school, like I, yeah. All right. I, 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 I'm a journalist, so I've got more questions for you. you <laughs> yeah, go ahead. All right. So, so you get, uh, did, was this in a, uh, being the, the recruiting job? Yeah. First question, uh, was that an assignment or did you raise your hand? That was an assignment. Uh, we uh, so I came back from Iraq. This I was in uh, OIF one, so the first rotation yeah. to Iraq. I came back, and this was a weird thing that had happened. 
we were back for probably maybe a month or so. And we were like gearing up. We were like, we knew that the unit was going to go back again the following year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and I would plan on probably doing another rotation, but when this enlistment was up, I was going to be done. I was out in Colorado Springs, Fort Carson. I closed on a house on a Friday. I come back to work on Monday and all the NCOs in the inbox had orders for either drill instructor or recruiting. They wanted the seasoned NCOs that had some combat experience under their belt to go back out and teach brand new trainees and recruit, train, talk about the war. And so that's, I wanted, I would have preferred to be been a drill instructor, but recruiting was the path that they chose for me. And so that's ultimately, I was voluntold to go do that. And uh, okay, good. So, so you see that and you think, Oh shit. How am I getting like, what walk me through, uh, if you can, you know, I, we're all terrified before we do our first adventure race. I think that's probably a pretty good analogy. How did you go? How did you go from, I don't want to do this. This is a terrible idea. I don't even have these skills to, to make admission. Oh man, it was tough. I, so they send you to recruiting school. So they teach you how to have a telephone conversation with people and start to put you uh, to, to give, have conversations with, with, with people. Not enough, just enough to be dangerous. You know, I, I get to my, my recruiting office and I was, I was actually paired up with, uh, we had some really very outgoing recruiters. My friend, uh, Chris Pate, uh, w- he was my battle buddy out there. Very, he could talk to anybody. Hmm. And I felt co- confident and comfortable. And one thing that the army teaches you is, oh, to ha- have a battle buddy. He's hunter killer team. So we called it the hunter killer team. Cause I was very passionate about telling my story and talking about the army. It was just broaching, like going up to a stranger and talking to them or giving a presentation. But I was confident if I knew the, the person and had built that rapport. So we worked together really well. And the first year that I was out there, I absolutely sucked at it. But over time, I started just developing just by just practicing, just throwing myself out there and, and you know, watching how Chris talked to people because he was just a natural, just natural extrovert. I'm very, very much an introvert. He would just strike up conversations. And I just started reading books about uh, like a, a book that helped me was Go For No. The network marketing book was about, you know, make a game out of the nose, you know, go get out of your comfort zone and go get as many count the nose before, before you count the yeses. Like instead of going for one yes a day, go for 50 nos, you're bound to get a yes out of that. You might get two or three, but don't stop until you get to the 50 nos. And so having that, that learning and growth mindset really helped me as well. And I started going to, uh, I went to college. I went to Lindenwood. I took evening classes and the format for the evening courses there was lots of presentations and a lot of papers. So communication based, which really helped me as well. Hmm. So I just did the reps and I just, you know, like there's no way out of this assignment. There's only, it's only sink or swim. I got to make myself a subject matter expert having the growth mindset. Like I can learn these skills, just got to get out of my own way and overcome my fears and face it enabled me to be a good recruiter. I ultimately became one of the uh, top recruiters before I'd left uh, in, in, in that environment. And so I kind of gave me confidence, you know, one of the, in the army, they call these broadening assignments mm-hmm. getting you outside of your normal day-to-day job to go fulfill a role and broaden yourself. And that gave me confidence. Like, Hey, I can do something outside my normal comfort zone. If I learn and I'm open-minded and that gave me confidence when I got back to the military. Cause after that, I went to officer candidate school, which I was terrified to do that too. But I'm like, I had the confidence cause I'm look, I, I overcame these fears. And if I just continue to grow 
find mentors and coaches and just do the work, show up, face the fear. I'll get better and I can figure it out. And, and I don't mean to gloat, but in almost any endeavor that I've taken on by having that mindset, I've been able to at least get through it. Yeah. And oftentimes I've performed incredibly well just because of having the, the, that mindset. Yep. So long think, answer to your short question. No, I, I think uh, the ability to endure being told no is a special one. And I think the fact that you already have it is going to serve you well. Uh, you know, considering as you, as we've said before, the ships are burned behind you. Uh, I, I think, yeah. I think you're going to be happy for having that past experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You got to burn the ships. You got to burn them. And, and by doing so, there's no way out. Uh, you, you got to go. And like you, like you said, it's taking that paddle and just c- continue to dip in there. Yep. We still got, you know, when we were at the paddle at Castlewood, we weren't even the halfway point, <laughs> right? We're already suffering. And it's just like, you just got to keep trudging forward, you know, yep. and, and one foot in front of the other. Yep. And uh, having that mindset, we'll, we'll get you through it. Just be persistent. Don't stop. So, well, Matt, hey, I appreciate you coming on today. This was a great conversation. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I love the fact that we we met up uh, at an event like Castlewood and uh, we're doing hard things together. Yeah. I appreciate the work that you're doing. How can uh, how can people get in contact with you? Yeah. Uh, all of my uh, my portfolio is uh, mattcrossman.com. That very simple. And uh, the newsletter is it's on Substack and it's the Accidental Adventurer. Accidental Adventure. I'll link all of that in the uh, the show notes so people can get in contact with you. You need to follow with what Matt is doing. And if you want to develop grit and discipline, you know, Matt's got some great tools uh, for you and some some challenges. Can, can you join the MABA? I don't know. We, we, we'll probably Absolutely. drop in this. So you can Absolutely. join it anytime. Can join it. Yep. Yeah. We, uh, uh, you know, as I've mentioned a couple of times, I'm in F3. And so it's going to be, you know, mostly F3 guys because that's who I know. But one of the yeah, certainly it's not limited to that. I mean, the more the merrier. Uh, awesome. Yeah, so just uh, the, the sign-up sheet will be there. Uh, just sign up and start doing them. So. S- sounds good. Well, you want to develop grit and discipline, that's a challenge right there. You got to do something outside your comfort zone, something that uh, that's uncomfortable. So, all right, Matt. Well, hey, I appreciate your time, brother. Yep, thank you. All right, for everyone listening, keep doing hard things. We'll see you in the next episode. I hope that you appreciated today's episode of the Do Our Things podcast and conversation with Matt Crossman. I'd love to hear what you thought. What insight or takeaway did you get? You can reach out to me. You can connect with me on all social, or you can email me at j at j at jtegs.com. It's j-a-y at j-a-y-t-e-g-s.com. You can go to the website if you'd like to learn about a variety of opportunities and where you can take your growth and personal development to a deeper level. You can apply for one-on-one coaching. You can join the Do Hard Things Nation Facebook community. You can join the Forge Mastermind community. It's an exclusive uh, community member area where I go in and and basically teach personal growth and development concepts and the strategies and tips and techniques of the world's highest performing people on a weekly basis. Uh, We get together in there and uh, there's a membership area. So if you'd like to take your your personal growth and development uh, to the next level, connect with a community of like-minded people, that's what I would encourage you to do. 
Uh, we're going to be offering workshops soon and adventure coaching opportunities and virtual challenges in the, in, uh, in the near future. So keep an eye out for that. If you haven't done so, subscribe to the newsletter. You can go to jtx.com and subscribe, or you can just email me and just, hey, Jay, I want to join the motivational newsletter. I, I send out a weekly motivational update on uh, Sundays or Monday mornings and uh, usually filled with the latest of what, what's happening in the Do Hard Things community. I always send out three things that have inspired me. So three videos or articles or something like that of something that, uh, that uh, has, has made an impact on me and uh, keep up to date on what we're doing. So appreciate uh, your support. Share this uh, podcast episode with a couple of your friends. You can take a screenshot, post it out on social media. Feel free to tag me in it. Let me know what insight uh, you took away. And, uh, you know, with all the negativity in the world, I think that we're doing something special over here, putting some, having some great conversation and and putting some positivity out in the world. So thank you for your continued support. And uh, we will see you guys in the next episode.